You know, I just, I don't know. There's something different about the world today, don't you think? All right. Well, we are, <laughs> we're in a series, praise God. It's in a, we're in a series called The Life You've Always Wanted. It's based on a book by John Ortberg, and it's a, it's a book about spiritual disciplines. Um, it's a book about the life that we as followers of Jesus Christ were always meant to live. Jesus came to this earth not so that we could be forgiven of our sins and go to heaven when we die. Jesus came to this earth to open up heaven to us now so that you and I could be houses of God all over the planet. Spiritual disciplines are the way that we help heaven break out in our lives. He compares it to marathon running because a lot of times we look at spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer and we think, well, I got to do those things because I'm a Christian. But um, when we think about marathon training, when you're training for a long distance race or a marathon or any type of activity or athletic event, there are days that you actually practice harder. You push your body almost to a max. Um, you want to be careful that you don't push it too far. If you're a weightlifter, you, you lift more, but you do shorter reps. You do less reps, you do more weight, because what you're trying to do is increase your overall strength, your overall stamina, if you will. And so you don't, again, you don't do it every day. So when we take these disciplines and we say, hey, we're going to focus on this discipline as a church body for a month. So when we talked in November about celebration or in December about slowing or the Sabbath, resting, in January we talked about prayer, and now in February we're going to talk about serving. And when we practice prayer for an extended season, we maybe increase the amount of prayer we're praying so that over the long haul, our prayer muscles strengthen. So for a season, we practice it more so that overall it carries into our lives. If all we're doing is for the month of January talking about prayer, but we're not actually growing in prayer, we're not becoming people of prayer. If all we're doing is actually praying more or having more prayer activities, we're not becoming a people who pray. What I'm hoping is that when you face a crisis at work because we focused on prayer for the month of January, that instead of criticism or complaining or swearing, the first thing out of your mouth is Jesus invade this moment. That we're becoming people of prayer. That's why we focus on prayer for an entire month so that we grow in prayer. Not just so we can say, okay, check, I prayed. Does that make sense? We want to grow in kingdom living so that we attract heaven to our lives. Far too many believers, I think, um, our prayer lives don't match how we live our lives. Like we pray for one thing, but the whole day long, our mouths and our actions are like the opposite of what we've just prayed. And we wonder why kingdom doesn't come. Well, we're not inviting it. Oh, but I prayed kingdom come. Yeah, uh-huh. But you also have to live it now. I pray it, and then I live it. I attract it with my lifestyle. And I get it. None of us are going to do it perfectly. But when I recognize it, the question is, do I blame everyone around me for why I misrepresented the kingdom? Or do I repent and say, God, that's not kingdom. I don't want it in my life. If we would walk around with a whole lot more humility, there'd be a whole lot more kingdom in America. Praise God. I am going to help you help me today because I am excited. I wasn't excited before, but I'm excited now. 
And so, <coughs> excuse me, as we shift, I should settle down. I told you to tell me to settle down, Bob. I can't see Bob from here, so i got to move my computer. I won't be able to know when he says settle down. As we begin to shift from focusing specifically on prayer to now we're going to talk about serving and servanthood. I kind of want to tie these two together this week. And then next week, we're really going to unpack some of the stuff that John gives us in the chapter about serving. But for the last three weeks, and I've entitled the message today, The Kingdom Way. The Kingdom Way. Because I feel like serving and prayer come together in a kingdom way, um, maybe more than other disciplines. And so the last three weeks, we've talked about the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And last week I talked about the kingdom bookends of this prayer. So it starts with um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And it ends with it's your kingdom, it's your power, it's your glory forever. It's about the kingdom, the bookends of that prayer, the kingdom. And everything in between is our life living out this kingdom. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of of the kingdom that Jesus taught is, a, I think, very different from some of the gospel that's taught in our nation today. Some of the gospel that's taught in our nation today is, Jesus died for your sins, asked for forgiveness, so you go to heaven when you die. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. That's the gospel of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom is, Jesus did that so heaven could invade your life. You could live as a kingdom citizen right now, and you could distribute kingdom everywhere you go. And sometimes distributing kingdom does look like supernatural intervention. Sometimes it's a miracle. Sometimes it's supernatural power. But sometimes it's just being kind when you'd rather be unkind. Sometimes it's actually just serving. Sometimes it's being generous when you'd rather be stingy. When you have poor service at a restaurant, I believe when you have poor service at a restaurant and you purposely, kingdom-mindedly tip more because your service was bad, I think you attract heaven. I do. Just as much as when you pray it. I think the kingdom of heaven was meant to change every part of our lives. And this is how Jesus lived. He demonstrated kingdom everywhere he went. The kingdom was breaking out, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is breaking forth. And he demonstrated it. He gave his apostles the power to do it also. Not only his apostles, but even up to 72 of his disciples had power to perform miracles or to touch lepers or to sit at tables with people they weren't supposed to culturally sit at a table with. It's not just about the supernatural. It's also about the practical power of God Touching people's lives. So we come to Mark chapter 9. And Jesus is on a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he comes down. And the rest of his disciples are at the foot of the mountain arguing with religious leaders. And the story is, there's a boy that has been demon-possessed from birth. And it, it sends him into convulsions or into epileptic type of seizures and it throws him into water, it throws him into fire, and his father is exasperated. I cannot imagine, as a parent, watching my child have seizures for year after year after year, worrying every moment of every day whether they were going to get thrown into a fire, thrown into water, and their life was literally always on the line. I can't imagine the exasperation this man is feeling. 
And he hears about Jesus. He hears about the disciples. They've gone everywhere performing miracles. He comes there, but the disciples aren't able to drive the demon out. And there are some teachers of the law. There's some Pharisees gathered around the base of the mountain. And remember, this isn't the disciples' first rodeo. They've done this before. But for some reason, they can't do this one. So then Jesus comes down the mountain, verse 19, and he finds out what's happening. And this is what he says. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Here's what I think the problem with the church in America is. If someone would call us unbelieving, we would get offended. The reason we're not seeing miracles today is that we're unbelieving. How dare you say I'm unbelieving? Guess what? There's not a believer on this planet that doesn't have unbelief in our lives. And if you and I aren't going to be humble enough to say, God, get it out of me, we're not going to see more. We're not going to attract heaven. We're going to continue to be crabby in the workplace. We're going to continue to put other people down. We're going to continue to live how we've been living, and we're not going to attract the kingdom. But if you and I will say, God, I don't like what's coming out, so there must be some unbelief in my life that I need rid of. That's good stuff right there. Because the disciples, rather than being concerned about the boy, are arguing with the religious leaders. My guess is they're defending themselves or giving excuses. But my guess is there's a whole lot of pride at the base of that mountain. And that's what Jesus is rebuking. So in verse 22, Jesus calls the boy and the father comes and gives his his speech. And this is how he ends his speech. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Father's exasperated. Okay, remember, watching your child suffer. I mean, I've had to watch a child suffer maybe for like a week. Not even any real big sickness. And that's exasperating. I mean, so I can't imagine years of this. And Jesus looks at this father and says, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. And I love this. Immediately, the exasperated boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you hear the humility in this exasperated father's voice? He's like, I know, I, I, I'll do anything right now. Help me overcome unbelief. You say I have unbelief. And some of us think, well, if Jesus would say, I have unbelief and not another human being, I'd maybe hear it. I wonder if Jesus is saying it and we're not hearing it. Uh, there's good news coming. So if you're feeling like, wow, this is hard. I mean, it's, it's coming. So Jesus obviously heals the boy sends them on their way. And after they have gone indoors, verse 28, his disciples ask him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. So here's the thing. So, of course, we're like, oh, well, we got we to gotta pray and fast. What is prayer and fasting all about? It should be about emptying ourselves. It should be about making sure that pride is stripped away. It should be about an increase in humility. It shouldn't just be, hey, okay, we have this situation, so we have to call a fast, because let's fast. Because if you remember Isaiah 58, God's like, you're fasting, and I don't care. 
because you're, you're, treat, you're mistreating each other. You're doing all these other things. I mean, yeah, you're going through the motions of fasting, but you're not becoming humble. You're not becoming kingdom-minded people. You're just going through the routine. So it's not about prayer and fasting, but it's about using prayer and fasting to become the type of people that attract the kingdom. To get unbelief out of our lives in every possible form, which, by the way, we will be doing until Jesus comes back. And that's okay, because he's faithful to finish the work. And he's not up in heaven angry about it, but he is up in heaven saying, guys, I want to bring the kingdom so bad. Stop asking me and just let me bring it. Invite it with your life. Invite it with your life. Invite it with your humility. Because it's not like there's one spiritual discipline that is the key ingredient to bringing the kingdom. I mean, one of the things I love about John Ortberg's book is he talks about how to know which discipline to practice. Well, if you're, if you're finding yourself just worn out and just exhausted, maybe you need to practice celebration. I mean, if all you're doing is walking around moping, maybe you need some celebration. If you're too busy, maybe you need to practice solitude. If you're crabby or if you find yourself being short with people or being critical of other people, I'm going to tell you serving is the one you need to pick up. And in the month of February, he's going to challenge us to improve our serve, if you will, or strengthen our serve. When Jesus comes and talks about prayer and fasting and miracles and the miraculous, I believe that fasting and prayer and worship are spiritual weapons. Do you, do you agree? You think they're weapons? I mean, if there's a problem, pray. It's a spiritual weapon. If there's a problem, fast. It's a spiritual weapon. If there's a problem, praise God. Declare his praises. It changes atmospheres. If you're just having a bad day, just praise, praise God. Sing until you stop having a bad day. Well, Pastor Tom, I'd sing all day. Sing all day. Did you ever notice I do? Why do you think why do you think I sing all day? Because if I didn't, I my brain would take me into crabby places. And so sometimes I sing Christmas songs, sometimes I sing Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, but sometimes I'm singing worship songs. But I also believe humility, service, and self-giving love are weapons. Yeah, go to a prayer meeting. But when you go to a restaurant and you tip well, or you go somewhere and someone mistreats you and you give them a kind word in return, or you hold a door open for someone and you bless them in the name of the Lord, you are inviting heaven to invade that place. I believe it. As people of God, when you give a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, you're bringing kingdom. You're bringing kingdom. Does anyone believe me? Praise God. I'm glad a couple people believe me. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Don't overcome evil with more evil. Don't overcome evil with what you've been treated with. When people are mean, don't be mean back. Or you are not inviting kingdom. I'm not saying you're out of the kingdom. I'm not saying you're not saved. But you, we cannot expect revival to come to this nation when the Christians are just as mean as the non-Christians. We bring kingdom. We have been given the Spirit of God. If people out there don't have the Spirit of God, what can they be but mean? 
You and I have angels ascending and descending on our lives. We have the power to be kind to the unkind. It's all about service and self-giving love and mercy and generosity. It will change our lives. It will change the atmosphere of everywhere we go. When we start to reject the kingdom of the world and we embrace the kingdom of heaven. It's prayer and it's action. It's prayer and it's action. When Jesus called his disciples, what did he call them to carry? A cross. Don't think that Jesus came and died on a cross just so that you and I wouldn't have to. He came and died on a cross because he modeled that's the kingdom. The kingdom always lays down its life for others. Jesus did not die so you and I could live for ourselves. He died so we could follow in his steps. If we want to see answers to our prayers, if we want to see greater influence and authority in the kingdom of heaven, it will come when we resist the kingdom, resist the beast and bring the, let me say it again. If we want to see greater influence, it comes when we resist the beast of the kingdom of the world and embrace the kingdom of heaven lifestyle. Mark chapter 10, Jesus was talking about this very thing to his disciples. He was telling them about his death, about his resurrection, about what they need to be doing. And then James and John come to him on the heels of this conversation and say, Hey, Jesus, we have a question for you. Can you do something for us? Uh, We want to sit on your right hand and left hand when you come in your kingdom. Anybody see the church in America right there? We're all about position. Hey, Jesus, we want to be... We want to jockey for position in your kingdom. Jesus is talking about laying his life down, and they're talking about what they can get for it. And then Jesus comes in verse 42, trying to reframe this for them. I love his patience. Verse 42, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be servant. I didn't say you must serve. I didn't say you must do a lot of church ministries or religious ministries or be involved in community activities and do a lot of, you must become a servant. Because there are a lot of busy Christians that do a lot of work at church, that do a lot of community activity. We're going to bring the lights back up. Could someone just run back and hit the lights? Um, It's either one or five. There we go. Okay, so where were we? We got in the dark all of a sudden. So... If we want to see the kingdom come in our lives, it's not just about getting involved in more serving projects. It's about becoming a servant. Because there's a lot of busy Christians, but they won't do one thing in their workplace that's not in their job description. That's not serving. They won't do one thing at home to serve their spouse. That's not serving. I don't care how many ministries you do other places. If you're not becoming a servant, if we're not becoming servants, we're not servants. Even if we're busy. And what happens is when we get busy, do you know what we get? We get frustrated, and then we get angry at people that aren't busy, and then we become 
crabby Christians. And we're not inviting kingdom because we haven't become servants. We're just busy people. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Must be the slave of all. Don't you don't tell me what to do. Don't you don't don't don't, who do you think you are? Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come not to be served, but to serve? Why would he expect us to live any differently? See, Pastor Tom, this sounds really hard today. It has to. It has to, because I believe, myself included, there is far too much pride in the American church for kingdom to come. And I think the Holy Spirit is saying, it's time for you to serve, and it's time for you to humble yourself, and it's time for you to give yourself away in ways that you never have before, and watch me invade your communities, your homes, like never before. I mean, we love movies like The Love Dare, uh, you know, with... Kirk Cameron, Kirk, I mean, he's crying and he's serving his spouse, even though his spouse is rejecting it. But do we want to do that in our lives? No, because it's harder to do. I mean, we don't want to be kind to our unkind co-workers. We don't want to give ourselves. I mean, surely God's not asking us to do that. You're right, Marv, he is. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, this is what Jesus did. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He didn't just come serving. He took the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. We, everybody wants to get exalted in the kingdom, but the way up is down. And when we start laying down our lives for others, we'll find that God will bring us victory. He'll exalt us. If you want to stand up for yourself, go ahead. But the next time, you're going to have to stand up for yourself again. If you let God stand up for you, he'll stand up for you next time too. We have to pick and choose which way we want to live out this life. In James chapter 4, I think this is the way that God always intended for humans to rule the earth. This type of self-giving love. This is what Adam and Eve were supposed to do, but they didn't. Because when they had a chance to be like God, what did they do? They ate because they wanted to be like God. They wanted more than were given to them. I'm not going to lay down my life for anyone. I want what's best for me. And that does not work. And the reason our nation is in the condition it, it, it is in, I believe, is partly the, the response of the church over the last many decades. The selfishness that has existed in the church. Not every believer, there's always a remnant. There's always people serving the Lord. But by and large, the church has become selfish. And God wants to break that off of our lives and bring humility. And one of the ways to do that is to start over-serving. What if for one month, the people of Restoration Church just overdid serving? 28 days, it's even the smallest month of the year. 
And we just went crazy and served in every possible way. Could it make a difference if we did it in the name of the Lord and said, God, we want you to bring kingdom into every place. I want to look for ways to serve. When we come out of February, I would hope that our serving muscles would be stronger and our daily lives, we'd be more like servants than we went in. Would we be perfect? No, we're not going to be perfect, but we can grow. James chapter 4. James is writing to the church, and apparently their prayers are not being answered. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And some of us are like, again, we're like, well, I have right motives in this prayer. It's not about the prayer request that you're giving right now, whether your motives are right. It's whether or not our lives are marked by humility and self-giving love or whether our lives are really just marked by living for ourselves. I mean, when we see a need, do we ask ourselves, what can I do to meet a part of that need? I can't do all of it, but can I do something? I mean, we've raised up a generation that no longer babysits for free because there's a single mom that needs help because everybody always wants to get paid. We've got to pay people to do church work, too, because, I mean, we, I, people, we don't want to volunteer to do anything anymore because we, everyone should get paid. Why? Whatever happened to good old-fashioned serving? I think this is throughout the entire Scripture that this entire concept of what Jesus came to do marks his entire life on the earth. The Bible Project put a video together that I want to show you. It's just a few minutes long, but it illustrates so well this concept of Jesus as the Son of Man and why he came. So I want you to watch this, and then we're going to finish up today. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that the most common title people use to describe Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah. But surprisingly, Jesus almost never used that word to describe himself. Instead, he called himself the Son of Man. Son of Man, what does that mean? Well, the phrase comes from an important chapter in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was an Israelite prisoner of war who was forced to live in the empire of Babylon and work for the prideful, violent king who destroyed his home. That sounds horrible. And while he was living and working in Babylon, Daniel had this crazy prophetic dream. You ready for it? I'm ready. He saw four beasts crawling out of a dark sea, hybrid monster-like animals, each scarier than the one before. And the fourth beast is so mutant, there's nothing to compare it to. And it's violent, leaving death and destruction in its wake. What in the world is this about? Well, he's told that these beasts symbolize violent, prideful kings and their empires. Oh, like the one Daniel's enslaved to. Yeah, and these creatures might seem random to you, but these images are developing an important biblical theme. How humans are these remarkable creatures capable of doing great good and horrible evil. How we can behave like animals. Right. Look at the first pages of the Bible. God creates the beasts of the field and humans together, all from the dust. But then the humans are set apart and given a royal task of being God's image. So humans are like the animals, but called to become much more. Yeah, they're to be God's representatives on earth, ruling on his behalf like kings and queens. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast who says that they could be more than just God's partners. Yeah, that they could rule the world on their own terms. 
which sounds good to them. But God knows this will be a disaster. And so he expels the humans to the realm of the beasts. The partnership is lost. But God makes a promise that one day a human will be born who won't give in to the beast. Rather, he'll overcome and strike the beast while being struck by it. Okay, so for the rest of the biblical story, we're waiting for that human. But instead, in story after story, we find people acting like beasts. Yeah, like in the next story about Cain. He was jealous and angry at his brother Abel. God warns Cain that he's facing a beastly urge called sin, a dark, mysterious kind of evil that consumes humans. But God says that Cain can rule the beast if he chooses. But he doesn't rule the beast. He lets this urge devour him, and he becomes a beast. And then after this, Cain's children spread their animal-like violence, and it leads to the founding of a whole civilization known for its beastly pride, the city of Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So fast forward, this is where Daniel is enslaved, having this bizarro dream. Exactly. Now, watch what happens next in Daniel's dream. He sees into God's throne room where a court is set up, and God condemns the beast to destruction. That's great. And then Daniel sees that there's actually more than one divine throne. Oh, right, the throne that humanity left behind. Right. There hasn't been a human who's able to overcome the beast and rule alongside God until now. Daniel sees a figure called the Son of Man, which means a human, and he rides on a cloud up into God's presence and then sits down on the divine throne to rule the world. The partnership's renewed. Yes, and even more, all humanity worships and serves this Son of Man alongside God. Oh, worship. So this is no ordinary human. This is like a God-human. Exactly. And so now you can see why Jesus of Nazareth, when he came onto the scene centuries later, chose this title, the Son of Man, for himself. He was claiming to be that truly human one on a mission to confront the beast. He was tempted to seize power on the beast's terms. But unlike every human before him, Jesus resisted the urge. And then he went about banishing the beast from people's lives, and he was teaching people how to rule the beast instead of being ruled by it. Okay, so how do you rule the beast? Well, Jesus did it by giving up his life. Wait, rule the beast by dying? Yes. When Jesus was on trial in a human courtroom and being condemned to death, he said, from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand and coming on the clouds. But this is the moment he's about to die. Exactly. From one perspective, the cross looks like a beastly torture device, but Jesus viewed it as his throne. And on this throne, he exposed the subhuman nature of our evil by letting it do its worst, and then he overcame it with his divine life and love. Jesus' execution was his exaltation. So Jesus is the first human to overcome the beast, and as a result, he can partner with God to rule the world. And so now, Jesus is summoning a new humanity into existence, one that can overcome the beast in the same paradoxical way. To rule the beast by dying. And then by discovering that Jesus' life and power can become our life and power. So we can rule the world as God's partners, but Jesus-style, in the power of service, humility, and self-giving love. We have to remember that every time we read the word love, in the scripture we have to make sure that when it's talking about agape love that self-giving love that's who god is he laid down his life for us 
not just so that you and I could feel better about ourselves, that there's a God that loves us that much, but also so that he could put that same love in us so that you and I could demonstrate that everywhere we go. And when we go through the checkout line at the store and someone makes a mistake and we just lay into them, what happens? And again, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to we're we're not going to do this perfectly, but we have to start living like this matters. Like this is I mean, I, I pray, I fast, I read my Bible. But if I live like this every other moment of the day, how am I inviting kingdom to come? And Jesus came to model this type of life for us. I want to look at a couple scriptures just quickly through the, the book of John. As Jesus is ending his time with his disciples, he's calling them to live the same way that he's living. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Oh, praise God, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Then moving into John chapter 13, Jesus knew that the Father, listen to this phrase, had put all things under his power. I don't know if you, if you finally realized as a kingdom citizen that all things have been put under you, what would your first act be? Well, let's look at Jesus. All things are now under his power, and that he had come from God and he was returning to God, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist, and he took the role of the lowest servant in the house, Jesus. And then in verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And that's not about having foot washing services. I mean, we have churches where we have foot washing services, but when somebody makes a mistake, we just lay into them and we tell everyone, oh, that, don't go to that church, that person. But thank God we have foot washings. We've missed it. We've missed the whole point about laying down our lives and letting people fail and letting them fail with dignity and honoring people. This is kingdom. This is what Jesus did. He was perfect, and yet he never exposed anyone while he was on earth. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. In verse 16, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Remember, this is the same meal where they were arguing about who was the most right. (laughs) Praise God. John 15, my command is this, agape each other as I have agaped you. Self-sacrificing love. Greater self-sacrificing love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The question is, are we willing to actually shed blood for each other, or at least even just 
pay a high cost or maybe just be inconvenienced for each other. In John chapter 18, Jesus is facing death. He's facing Pilate. And Pilate goes back inside the palace in John 18, summons Jesus and says, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is from another place. His kingdom is for this world. It's just not from this world. And we've been called to live from that kingdom for this world. In John chapter 19, the Jewish leaders insisted to Pilate, we have a law, and according to that law, Jesus must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. I love it. The guy that's not a believer, not a Jew, not any relationship with God at all, has more sense than these Jewish leaders. This is great. He goes back inside, where did you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. One of the things that John is going to challenge us in this chapter is it's okay to keep your mouth shut. It really is. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do, and that invites the kingdom. I'm not saying every time. But I think there are times that we need to make sure that before we speak, we take the model of Jesus right here and make sure that we're supposed to speak. We live in a society that asks, what's in it for me? What's it going to cost me? How much am I going to get paid? And we live in a society that is complaining and critical, that will do the minimum that's expected. That's kingdom of the world. The kingdom of heaven is not like that. And I love that people serve in church and they serve with excellence. I love that people serve in community Christian organizations all around this community and all around the world. But do we do that same type of level at our workplace? Do we do that same type of level at our home? When you're walking through the store and something got knocked off a shelf, do we stop and pick it up and put it back on the shelf? Because, you know, that's what kingdom people do. Do we pick up garbage when we're out on the street? Because that's what kingdom people do. Have we taken on the nature of the servant? Am I doing more than what's asked for? Am I doing more than you're, well, well, well Pastor Tom, won't I get taken advantage of? Yes, you will. And I'm not asking you to put your mental health or your physical health in jeopardy. You can take this too far, yes. But if we do it as servants, as unto the Lord, I think he could give us strength. If we took baby steps, baby steps, people, and just started to serve more and more, and maybe let people take advantage more, just, just a little bit, just a little bit, maybe it would strengthen us and we could actually handle it. But some of us let people take advantage of us, not because we, we're doing it for the kingdom, but we're doing it because we want people to like us, because we're trying to get our self-worth from what people think of us, and so that's why we're letting people take advantage of us. There's a difference, and that will kill you. But if you do it for the kingdom, I think there's a grace. 
there's a grace. Baby steps, little by little. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What I hope today that I did was totally overwhelm you. If I did, praise the Lord. I felt like I needed to go into this month. I think serving, the nature of a servant, is huge for what God wants to do in not just our community, but what I think he wants to do in our nation. He wants a people who serve, who are taking on the nature of a servant. And I felt like today I would do this shock and awe type of approach. And next week we'll throttle back a little. Um, I encourage you to read the chapter this week. We're going to really unpack some of the examples that John gives us of ways that we can strengthen our serve. And when we go through this month of February, I want to encourage you, open your eyes and begin to pray, Holy Spirit, how can, I, how can I serve more at home? How can I serve more at work? How can I serve more at church? How can I serve more in our community? How can I serve my friends? How can I serve extended family members? How can I serve my enemies? Who are some people in my life that maybe I would rather not serve? Help me find ways to serve them. And let's take this month and really begin to sow into the nature of a servant. Again, it's not just about performing activities. It's about performing activities so that it increases the nature of a servant in our hearts. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you that you model for us the nature of a servant. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to come to this earth to show us what your kingdom has always been about, to show us the type of life that you created humans to live. When you put Adam and Eve in the garden, you, you called them to serve with authority. You called them to serve with dominion and power, but according to your kingdom way, the self-sacrificing love, the humility, the, the agape that you demonstrated by coming to this earth and giving your life. And Father, I pray today for every person in this room, for everyone watching online, I pray for myself today. God, that you would help us to begin to believe that this type of life is possible for us. That the same life that Jesus lived, we're called to live. God, not just to experience the, the signs and the wonders and the miracles, but to experience the type of self-giving love that opened doors for him to minister to those that were outcasts and broken, those that were rejected, to bring life into every sphere of our lives. God, whether at work or at home or anywhere in this community, across the state, God, even throughout this nation, God, we want your kingdom to come. And we want to live lives that attract your kingdom. We want to be magnets for your kingdom. But Holy Spirit, we need your help. By nature, we're selfish. By nature, we're self-protective. We worry that we won't have enough. So we need your grace, your strength to help us. To trust that you're for us. To trust that you're going to provide for us. To trust that we can be kind because you're going to invade that situation and you're going to work in that person's life. 
we're going to overcome the evil of that moment with good. We want to be a people that are generous, people that are merciful, people that are humble. And we want every area of unbelief to be eradicated from our lives. So Holy Spirit, over this next month, do a deep work in our lives. Help each and every one of us to strengthen our serve and to take on the nature of a servant. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. And uh, I want to encourage you, again, to stop by the table in the back. Um, There's some information about our church if you need that information. If you're a guest, we have a gift that we want to give you as well today. Uh, If you need to sign up on the Connect card to get some information sent to you or to get plugged into Church Center, all of that is back on the table. There are still prayer guides available. Those are free to you if you want to pick up a prayer guide. Just happens to be 28 days in the month of February, so maybe we could go back through that. If we're going to try to increase our serve, maybe we need to pray and serve as we go through this month. And so those are available to you. There are copies of the book, um, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg, if you want to pick one of those up. And offering baskets are there as well. If you have any questions, our hosts are out there. And uh, I'll be there in a few moments and we'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. Thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go.